we are all still standing, I would like to offer the scripture reading for the sermon today. 1 John chapter 5, I'll be reading verses 14 and 15, but first let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you because we belong to your Son, Jesus Christ. We are in union with Him, and He is the living and active Word. Now, by your Holy Spirit, we ask that your Word come to us in a living and active way. Shape us into those who are pleasing to you more and more. And we'll trust you for this, for you love us, and you've appointed your Son to die for us, and we pray in His name. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence which we have toward God, toward Him, that if we request anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we request, we know that we have the requests which we have requested from Him. Thus far, the reading of God's Word and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Confidence. uh, How can you ever show your face around here? In moments of honesty, we can all admit to periodic times when confidence is shaken or absent. This is especially the case when we have encountered the holiness of God or taken the slightest peek into our own sinfulness. How can we ever have any confidence before God? Then we look around and we think of other people. If they knew me the way I know me, I'm undone. God knows us fully. So this sermon is titled simply Confidence, and it is tied to last week's message on assurance and the why of John's writing. So in preparation I asked, where does confidence come from? And I thought of a man whom I knew some 40 years ago. He was someone who, because of certain circumstances, one could conclude that he had no basis for any confidence at all. Let me tell you about this. This man was a number of years older than me. His name was Joe. And one day he seemed to have just shown up at Calvary Baptist Church. We had a church softball team and we were pretty good. Our league was a patchwork quilt of Christians and denominations. We played against the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Roman Catholics, the Assembly of God, and even other Baptist churches. Joe joined our church and joined our team and made our team even better. In those days, I was finishing up my time as a high school baseball player and had just received a scholarship to go play baseball for a small college. 
Joe and I would talk baseball, and he gave me exercises to build my arm strength. Joe was eager and enthusiastic. He was a blend of both cheerfulness and tough guy. With one look, you could easily conclude that he was the kind of man who could handle himself and one with whom you ought not to tangle. His eyes flashed both distance and awareness. His hands and arms were strong, and those strong arms were smeared with tattoos from an earlier time in his life. The tattooed words and images were no longer distinct. They now resembled bruises. As with all of us, Joe had a story. He had been around, he had seen things, been places, and now he was part of our church. Joe had been in prison, and now he was with us. He would sit with us, sing with us, serve with us, as well as sling and smack softballs with us. Regarding prison, I certainly did not know why he was in, how long he was in, or at what unit. I did know that our pastor loved him, and Joe spoke of the Lord who loved him as well. I also knew that Joe was married. Joe and his wife and his children worshiped together in our church. Joe's wife had waited for him. She was still by his side. In full Con Air fashion, he came home to his hummingbird. A guilty man. A prisoner. A worshiper. I knew nothing about the loneliness he must have experienced, but I could see his response to being gripped by the embracing love of the Lord. I knew nothing about the difficulties he might have faced or anything about the discouragements and disappointments he caused, but his face and his speech revealed a confidence in being accepted in Christ and as part of his church an assurance, a security, being grasped. How was that possible? Where does such confidence come from? John tells us we have confidence before God, literally toward God, toward the face of God. And this confidence is such that we also have confidence in prayer, in our requests being heard and granted. So our passage today begins this way. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Hmm. According to His will. It is God's will that we pray, 
and we are to pray according to His will. Our Lord taught us to pray, Thy will be done. And why would anyone want to knowingly pray contrary to the Lord's will? Now this phrase, to pray according to thy will, or if it be thy will, has received some criticism. And I'm here to tell you it's just fine. It's right here. It's biblical. I've actually heard criticism of using this phrase in prayer, suggesting that if you use it, that means that you have weak faith or that you are trying to give God an escape route, a way to get out. Hmm. No. When, when praying for someone's healing or full recovery, all the while knowing of the realities of illness and the ever-nearing trump of death, we humbly pray for their recovery if it is your will. When praying about a job possibility or a business endeavor to move to such and such a city to buy and sell and make a profit, we rightly pray if the Lord wills. To refuse to pray according to the Lord's will actually shows faith or confidence in oneself. To refuse to pray according to God's will actually shows a faith or a confidence in your own prayers. I got this. But to pray according to God's will is to acknowledge that He is God and we are not. We know we are dependent upon the Lord's sovereign ordering of all things. And we also know that we are prone to pray for goofy things. So we pray for the Lord to rule and to overrule. We are to pray, make our requests according to His will. But that's not all. Verse 14 says, uh, we, we make our requests according to His will. He hears us. Hmm. This is interesting. He hears us. I don't know about you, but this could easily strike us as something of a Captain Obvious statement. Well, of course, the one who is all present and knows all hears us. Psalm 139, it was clear that we read earlier, the Lord is the one who knows our thoughts. Every one of them. Matter of fact, the Lord even knows a word before it tumbles over your tongue and pops out of your mouth. The Lord knows. And John says this is part of our confidence. We pray according to His will and He hears us. Pastor Jeffrey already alluded to this. This can be a great comfort or it can be a great concern. The Lord knows your every word, your every thought. But the, there's more in this passage. Verse 15, we roll on. Verse 15, and if we know that He hears us, 
in whatever we request, we know that we have the requests which we have requested of Him, from Him. Confidence. The Lord hears and gives. This is a stunning statement. It's an astonishing confidence. We often don't pray enough. Dads, if your son comes to you and says, Dad, I'm hungry, can I have a chunk of bread? You don't say, here, son, bite on this stone for a while. He says, Dad, I'd I'd like some fish. You don't give him a snake. Our Lord teaches us that and says, you all are not even righteous. Consider the righteousness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We come and ask bread, fish. Yes. Still we wonder. We must pause for a moment. This, this sounds like an open ticket. Is this some kind of Willy Wonka golden ticket? Is this an open menu? Is, is this some kind of cosmic vending machine where all we have to do is put our coins in requests in, and it's ours. Is that what this means? You don't even have to shake the machine to get your Twix out. Is that what this means? No. Thankfully, John does not mean we get whatever we might be wanting. Love the way that P.T. Forsyth phrased this. I'll tend to think we're so wise and things. Nothing would do more to cure us of a belief in our own wisdom than if the Lord granted some of our eager prayers. No. This requesting is connected to the will of God. And we must be careful of replacing the God of the cosmos with those of us who are wandering about in the cosmos, as if the Lord is bound by our utterances, our decrees, and our will. Hmm. But confidence is present. We are to have confidence in our persons and in our prayers. How? Two things, at least. First of all, we ought to have confidence that the Lord knows all, everything. With the Lord, nothing is missed. Nothing is unknown or slips by. If Elijah were with us right now, he would remind us that the Lord is not occupied out on a journey or having coffee with Baal. Nothing is missed. The Lord knows all. The Lord even knows when we have inadequately or inaccurately confessed our sins. The Lord knows that we do not know the depths of our own sin. The Lord does. If we ever conclude that we are forgiven because of the excellency 
the precision or the accuracy of our confession of, of our confession of sin, then we have just contributed to our own acceptance. Somebody will go, then well, wait a minute, the promise is here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes. But does that mean you are inerrant? That you've never missed a sin? And that therefore the Lord is going to say, you know, you're almost out the door. The Lord knows all. The Lord knows each of us full well. What happens when we remember something else? Or what happens if we fail to remember some sin? This is part of what Martin Luther struggled with. And I would like to read to you now from Bainton's biography on Luther. Here I stand. Luther's question was not whether his sins were big or little, but whether they had been confessed. The great difficulty which he encountered was to be sure that everything be recalled. He learned from experience the cleverness of memory in protecting the ego, and he was frightened when, after six hours of confessing, he could still go out and think of something else which had eluded his most conscientious scrutiny, still more discon disconcerting, troubling, was the discovery that some of our misdemeanors, our sins, are not even recognized, let alone remembered. Beware of denying the gospel by inserting ourselves Psalm 25, verse 7. Do not remember, O Lord, the sins of my youth. Do not hold those against me. Do not remember my transgressions, but according to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Think back to your youth. How many times... As the years pass by, you think of something else and go, oh, I didn't even see it as sin back then. So the first basis of our confidence is that the Lord knows all, everything. Next, re relationship. The Lord knows us, and then we get to know the Lord. When you are in a loving and knowing relationship with someone else, you pretty much know how they're going to respond or react to various things. It is a statement that there are some husbands and wives who can actually finish each other's sentences. How is that possible? They have spent so much time with one another, they know one another's ways and will and they can speak accordingly. To know God is to learn His will, the things which are pleasing in His sight, and we would not desire to ask for that which is contrary. Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
It doesn't say He will give you whatever your heart desires. He will, after you delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. So, let's go ahead and conclude. Back to Joe, back to that congregation, and confidence. Thankfully, I never heard a single murmur gurgle up from the pews or a mumble rise up in the sanctuary about, watch out for that guy. Be careful and keep your distance. No one, to my knowledge, ever asked, what's he doing here? Or how can he even show his face here? If anyone in the body of Christ did say that, it is likely that those words would pierce the heart and haunt the speaker. Because with the slightest bit of honesty, they would know that they had no place for showing their face either. And even if, did, if someone did say something like that, confidence is not based upon the words or the opinions of others. It's based upon the word of Christ. Further, confidence does not come from the showing of our faces. Hey. But from the knowledge that we have been accepted by, received by, and are welcome in the presence and the face of the Lord. This is why the 80th Psalm repeatedly says, cause your face to shine upon us. Did Joe's confidence come from having done the right things and having a testimony which he had now polished all up? No. Did Joe's confidence come from no longer being the man he once was and now is so much better, actually a pretty good guy? No. Did Joe's confidence come from having experienced in his body, in prison, the penalty for the crimes of which he was guilty. No. And this is true for all of us. Any confidence we might have is not due to the depths of our past deeds or the punishments we have received from them or our present actions, even our present religious accomplishments. Joe's confidence and any confidence we might have comes from outside of us. It comes to us. It is provided for us. The Lord is the one who hears. The Lord is the one who gives, for he even gives himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.